Thank you, Brother Merrick. Someone has observed that if you applaud as a man approaches the podium, that is faith and hope. If you applaud as he leaves the podium, that's charity. So apparently you have faith and hope tonight. And oh, I am enjoying Jesus. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Shake hands with somebody and say, it's cow meeting time. Do it. It's cow meeting time. Oh, hallelujah. There is nothing like an old-fashioned Pentecostal cow meeting. I feel the presence of His Majesty, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men nigh unto me. And we have come here tonight to again lift up that magnanimous name of the Lord Jesus. I'm just anxious to see what God has prepared for us tonight. Again, let me say it's a distinct privilege and honor to have been asked to come and share with you at this camp meeting. Now, I have a little different concept of camp meetings. To me, our Pentecostal camp meetings are symbolic of the ancient Jewish feasts such as Pentecost, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of the Tabernacles. And at those particular periods of Jewish history, they came together as a people of God to be blessed and rejuvenated. And then they returned to do the work of God. And I really believe that primarily that is the purpose of camp meetings. The trumpet is sounded and we've come together to be blessed, to be rejuvenated, to get fresh direction. Oh, we're always happy to see folks get the Holy Ghost. But if I don't preach what you would call quote-unquote evangelistically every night, understand that my personal concept of camp meeting is God's people come together, God's people are blessed, God's people are lifted, and then if you've got a healthy functioning body, reproduction is automatic. It's automatic. Many times the Bible said of the patriots and others in the Old Testament, so-and-so knew his wife and -and so-and-so was born. Intimacy is productive. Now, don't rate that statement X because it's true. Whenever we become intimate with the Lord Jesus Christ, then reproduction is automatic. When Zion prevails, not when the preacher preaches... But when Zion prevails, sons and daughters are born. Oh, what you say, Zion? Let's have camp meeting around here. Let's get in tune. There is an anything can happen atmosphere here. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. It's so refreshing to see so many of you with it. 
with it. You know, there are, in, in the church, there are caterpillars and there are pillars. And the caterpillars just crawl in and out, but the pillars are the ones that hold things up. And in any service, there are spectators and participants. Paul said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. The word communion means participation in the Holy Ghost. I don't like for people just to back off and look at the Holy Ghost. I like for them to participate in the Holy Ghost. Uh, I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. Blessed Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Someone has observed that in every church there are four kinds of bones, B-O-N-E-S, bones. There are wish bones who hang around and wish that somebody else would do the work. And then there are jaw bones who do a lot of talking but very little else. And then there are knuckle bones that knock everything that everybody else does. And then there are backbones that get under the load, do the work. Case in point, let's get under the load here, day after day, night after night. Praise God. Wasn't Brother John Grant delicious today? I'm going to tell you. I love that word of God. He fed my soul and blessed me. And if you were not here, I'd advise you to be here tomorrow to hear the good word of the Lord. You ready for the preaching of the word? Our Father, we take dominion over every spirit that opposes the Holy Spirit tonight. We take dominion over every spirit of oppression and depression. Dear Lord... Any presence that does not need to be here, we take dominion over it and command it to loose your people now in the name of the Lord that they might be fed and led by the Word of God. You said whatsoever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatsoever you loose on earth, we loose the spirit of love and power and a disciplined mind. Now in the name of Jesus, let a dimension of victory come to this tabernacle such as we have never known to His honor and His glory. Thank you, Lord. We plead the blood of the Lamb. Oh, Jesus, we love you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, we'll turn with us to John, the Gospel according to John. Chapter 6. Beginning with verse 5. John 6, 5. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And then in the book of Isaiah, chapter 46, Isaiah 46, 
verse 9. Remember this and show yourselves men. Bring it again to mind, O ye transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executed my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken it. Everybody say that with me. I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. From the premise of those scriptures, I want to introduce you to a God who is still in control. God is still in control. I have purposed it. He said, if I've got to call a ravenous bird to do it, it's going to be done. I have declared my purpose and it shall be accomplished. The sovereign Lord in the closing quarter of this 20th century is still in control. Let's lift our hands and praise Him. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank God. God bless you. You may be seated. Let me reiterate it and underscore it. God is still in control. I will be transparently honest with you and confess that hard times are upon our world per se, and we know that. It's very, very difficult for us to comprehend at particular junctures in life and time that God is in control. There's political unrest today. The United States itself faces a traumatic presidential election. Inflation. Personal problems. Financial dilemmas. Relationships that have and are falling apart. You may say, preacher, from your staid, safe position of a pulpit, it's Mighty easy for you to say God is still in control. And I'm being honest with you, I did not say that it is always apparent or on the surface that it always looks as if God is in control. You know, instantly we preachers retreat to Romans 8.28 and that's a delicious retreat. 
For we know all things work together for good. How many times have we quoted that when someone brought to us a tragedy in life or a, left us with a question mark for a brain? We'd say, oh, brother, sister, but we know all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. And I believe that with all my heart. But note, he didn't say we understand. He said we know. And I'm, I'm glad that he didn't say we understand. Because there's a lot of things in life I know that I don't understand. I was reared on a dairy farm, but I never have understood how a black cow can eat green grass and give white milk and you get yellow butter and orange cheese. I don't understand it, but I know it. And Paul said, I know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, that are the called according to His purpose. What do you mean, Paul? He said, whether I can explain it or not, I know that my God is still in control. For every problem under the sun, there is a solution or there is none. If there is one, seek till you find it. If there is none, never mind it. You see, a mark of maturity is to understand that there's some problems that can't be solved. You know, you, you, you accept it and, and, and God gives you victory over it and you rise above it and you continue to love and live for the Lord because you know that whether you can explain it or not, God is light and in Him there is no darkness. God is love and I am His child and I rest on a relationship and not circumstances. Spangled the stars against the night like diamonds against black velvet. He who controls the universe without collision and holds up the planets without pillars. He knows the way I take and he's interested in me. John chapter 6. There was a problem. You know... You could almost say Jesus had a problem. But really, God doesn't have problems. God is not uptight. God is not nervous. God doesn't take tranquilizers. God doesn't bite his fingernails. God is in control. Jesus looked out. 5,000 people plus men plus women and children converged on him. No stores, no supermarkets. They had been following him, hanging on his every word. Let me give you a little parenthesis here. That's apart from my message. These people who followed him all day long did not have their minds on their own welfare. What they were going to eat. What they were going to drink. They were hanging, suspended on every word of Jesus. Now, that's a good attitude to bring to church. And because they had their priorities fixed and not mixed, Jesus said... Since you are loving my words more than anything else, and you're not worried about the natural sustenance, he said, I'm going to provide the natural. I can almost say that it wouldn't be theologically correct that since they weren't worried about eating, Jesus worried about it for them. They had their priorities fixed. Seek 
ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Oh, attitude is a beautiful thing. Atmosphere is a glorious thing if it's in proper perspective. And they said, Lord, it's just, it's just you. He said, well, I'm going to see that the natural is taken care of because you have put the spiritual first. What a God. They hadn't even mentioned it. They didn't even badger him in prayer. It was an unspoken request. He just knew it. And he said, I'm going to provide. He said, Philip, let's get some bread. Philip said, where are we going to get bread? The Bible said this, he said, to prove him because he himself already knew what he was going to do. He had the problem and the solution. He already knew. He was already in control. There are many things that come to us in life just to prove us. And who would have ever thought that he would have used a little boy as a solution to that dilemma? He comes in such unusual ways. Why, so many hundreds, pennies worth of bread couldn't feed them. Lord, you better send them away. No, he said, they don't need to go away. Well, there's a little lad here, a few fishes, a few loaves. Okay, he said, tell everybody to sit down. Don't worry. And he sat them down in fifties and in hundreds. You know, some people can wait on a hundred while others are waiting on fifty. The difference in God's ability is just the difference in the ability of the workers. Now that's God's business. To whom he assigns fifty and to whom he assigns a hundred. That's his business. Don't frustrate over that. That's his business. He set them down in fifties and he set them down in hundreds. And he told the apostles and the disciples, stand before me. Well, there they were sitting down before nothing. And the apostles standing up with nothing. And Jesus saying all the time, everything's going to be all right. And all he had was just a little lunch. And maybe they said, well, maybe we'll get a little snack. Possibly some of them brought with them to that meeting a snack mentality. Little did they know that Jesus had a banquet in mind. I don't know what kind of mentality you brought to this camp meeting. You may have come thinking, well, I'm just going to go nibble and snack. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. The master has called us to his banqueting house and his banner over us is love. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Brother Grant is spreading a banquet every day. Who knows, but somewhere in the cabin, somewhere on the ground, somebody may put a tidbit in your ear that will turn in to a spiritual feast. Be open to the feeding of the Holy Ghost.
Little things lead up to big things. Because Jesus is able. You know, it's marvelous how he trains us. For instance, first he said, you're going to tread on scorpions. Good. Mark 16 said, you won't be able to handle serpents. And before it's over with, we're riding the dragon. Slaying the dragon in Revelation. But he, he doesn't take us immediately to dragons. He starts with scorpions. He said, learn to step on a scorpion. And the next thing, oh, I'm not talking about a literal snake hand. I don't think that this old southern boy is. I'll handle any snake you bring me if you'll bring a ten-foot pole with it. But he starts us off, scorpions, serpents, dragons. We grow in grace and in knowledge and in ability of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, through him. Paul said, we are able for anything. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is the King James Version. Through him, I am able for anything. Nothing is more binding than the self-imposed burdens we clasp around our own lives when we require God to fit into our expectations. Who would have expected him to have used a little boy and a little snack? But in that divine mentality, he could take little things. Jesus said, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the whole kingdom. He said, I have come to give you the kingdom. Now, that's unusual language. Because in the Old Testament, Ahasuerus told Esther, he said, I'll give you anything you want up to half the kingdom. Well, why didn't he say give all the kingdom? Because he had a son and the other half belonged to his son. He couldn't give it all away. John the Baptist lost his head over a dancing maiden. Herod the king said, hey, you please me. I'll give you half the kingdom. Why don't you give him, give her all of it? No, I can only give a half because I got a son. The other half. But here Jesus says, I'm going to give it all to you. How in the world could he give it all to us? Because half of it belonged to the Father and half of it belonged to the Son. And the Son is saying, I'm going to give it all to you. The only thing I can figure out is the Father and the Son are one. Oh, he that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Oh, the beauty of it. The beauty of it. To think that the eternal God walked the star-studded steps to a barnyard in Bethlehem to bring to us his great love. I'm so glad I know who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the incarnate God. And since he's God, he controls the universe. And he's got everything under his control. You ever hear anybody say, I didn't get anything out of that sermon. Did you ever hear that? Huh? Well, I've got a question. 
What did you bring to it? The soil that we bring to the Word determines what we get out of it. The attitudes with which we approach the Word of the living God. I've heard people say, that preacher preached too long. In fact, they've said it about me. It's 168 hours in a week. You spend at least 20 hours eating to feed this natural man. How many hours do you spend listening to the Word of God? Now I'm talking about creating an atmosphere for a banquet or an attitude for a snack. I'm talking about what we bring to the Word. Jesus knew what He was going to do. He knew He was going to meet every need. Believe me, did you know that God could have planned and designed this whole camp meeting or this very service or the Bible lesson this morning to meet your need. He's that much in charge and he cares that much. Let's look at Father Abraham. There was a time when it looked like his life was out of control. We refer to him as the father of the faithful, founder of the Hebrew nation, but his life wasn't always in control. Times it looked like it was totally out of management. You see, God gave him a promise that he was going to have a son through Sarah. And that that son was going to be as the stars and the sand in its progenity. And his name at first was Abram, which meant father. And then he changed it to Abraham, which meant the father of many nations. And finally, after 25 years of carrying around a name that claimed productivity. You know, what's your name? Abraham. What does that mean? Father of many nations. How many youngins you and Sarah got? Nair one. But I got a promise. How old are you? Oh, I'm a hundred. How old is Sarah? Well, you don't ask a woman how old she is. Just say she's 90 and holding. And through her, your seed's going to be as the scars. And the same. Hey, fella, your brains are scrambled. There is. But, but he, he gave God his faith. You know... Let me tell you something. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, teaches us that when you hold out on God, you've taken the first step toward death. Not just money, but of your faith and your commitment. You know the story. God gave him Isaac. 
And the beautiful promised child was born. And then suddenly, out of the azure blue, there comes a voice. Take thy son, thine only son, whom thou lovest. He could have just said, take the boy. But no, God, it looked as though he put the knife in and he twisted it. Take thy son, thine only son, whom you love, to the mountain that I'll show you and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Not just a sacrifice, but a burnt Now, you know what that meant? He not only had to kill him, but he had to cut him up and put him on an altar and burn him. It's not enough that you want me to kill him, but you're demanding a burnt sacrifice, which means I'll have to dismember him and put him on an altar and watch and smell as his flesh is consumed by the flame. God, are you really in control? Did I hear your voice? Come down and explain yourself to me. But he doesn't always come down and explain himself. And when we can't track God, we've got to trust God. Without an explanation, he marched toward Moriah. You know what the name Moriah means? Literally in the Hebrew, it means teach me. Teach me. He saddled up his beast and he went to Mount Teach Me. Oh, friends, so many experiences in life that we don't understand become mountaintops experiences where God teaches us things that we would never learn any other way. He went to Moriah and he told the servants that went with him, you stay here and the lad and I are going yonder. You see, the institution of the church or individual people can carry you only so far. But there are mountains that you've got to climb alone. 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 It's a part of the making of a man of God. But before he left, he said, the lad and I are going yonder to worship. Whenever you can't understand anything, turn it into worship. Whenever you don't have an explanation, start worshiping. Whenever you don't have an answer, start worshiping. The lad and I are going yonder to worship, but we shall return. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We shall return. to worship with? Where's your tambourine? Don't have it. Where's your harp? Where's your lid? Don't have it. What you got? A knife. And you've never lived until you learn to worship with a knife. When sacrifice and instruments of death can be turned into worship. Worship. You know there's a difference in knowing something and learning it. You can know it up here, but you don't learn it till you bring it up to the living level of your experience. Your, your tremendous superintendent and my dear friend, Brother Merrick, he has ministered a lot to people through the years that were suffering. He knew. But in the last few months, he's learned. 
things learned. You see, there's no waste in God's economy. I don't know how to say this, I'm, so I'm going to blunder into it. I, I can explain something from the Word, but I can't teach it. Brother Tenney, what do you mean? John said, strange scripture. You have no need that any man teach you. We have an unction from the Holy One. I don't care what I say. Only the Holy Spirit can really make it live in your life. Only as you let the unction, the anointing, settle down on you. While the man of God is teaching or preaching. And you make it and say, hey, that is speaking to me. We will return. Abraham didn't understand it, but he went ahead. And Isaac asking penetrating questions. And there's always somebody to ask some penetrating questions. You know, and Abraham couldn't dot every eye. And Abraham couldn't cross every T. And all the way up the mountain, he said, Father, here's the knife, and here's the fire, and here's the wood, but where's the sacrifice? Son, God will provide himself a sacrifice. Amen. He'll do it. He'll do it. Let me, let me show you something Abraham didn't know. And this is not in the Bible, but it's so. Well, how, how is it so, Brother Tim? Because it had to happen some way, and this must have been the way it happened. You can disagree with me if you want to because it's your right to be wrong. But listen to me. Abraham's starting up the side of the mountain with a lot of questions, you know, in, in his mind. Well, I, I know God's going to work it out, but don't know how. I'm sure of God's program, but I'm not sure of his plan. But here I go, and Isaac, Father, here's the knife. Father, here's the fire. Father, where's the sacrifice? Ever step and, and honing him in the back of his mind. You know, and the devil saying, what are you going to tell the servants when you get back? What are you going to tell Sarah when your boy doesn't come home? This stupid story that God told you to kill him. Huh? What are you going to say, Abraham? You know, I'm sure he didn't have all the answer. But he didn't accept all the devil's torment either. He kept a marching. Amen. Into the unanswerable. As far into the unknowable. He marched up that mountain. Never stopped. Never hesitated. On the other side of the mountain. Unseen to him. There's a shepherd with a flock. Suddenly the shepherd is temporarily blinded by flash of the sun. And a lamb makes his way out of the flock. He feels something. His fleece stands up on the back of its neck. and <laughs> Maybe one of the other lambs said, Bah, what's wrong with you? Ah, I don't know. Bah, where are you going? I'm going to check this bamble out over here. And he disappears into the base of the mountain. Into the bamboo bushes. And the shepherd doesn't see him and doesn't count sheep right then. And he doesn't know that he's gone. And, and the little sheep stops and suddenly he feels something and up that mountain and he starts going. Now, Abraham's on the other side of the mountain coming up with a heavy burden and a lot of unanswered uh, problems. But the God that's still in control is on the other side of the mountain and he's got the answer. He's got the solution on the way up to the top. Hallelujah. And Abraham, when you've gone as far as you can go, when you get to the top of this experience uh, and you can't go any further, God is going to have the answer.
some of you are climbing mountains tonight. You can't see what's going on on the other side. But I promise you, my friend, there is a God who will make a way where there is no way. And he's in control. You see, you have never been confused until it looks like God has led you the wrong way. Does that ever happen? Ask Moses. God said, get the children of Israel and scat. Well, God said, go down right through toward the Red Sea. He could have directed him toward the northern wadis, the Reed Sea. But he took him toward the widest part. And then they said, stop. And about that time, Pharaoh's army behind him and the sea in front of him. And the devil said, God gave you a bum steer. God has led you the wrong way. Any of you preachers ever feel like that? Lord, was I broadcasting when I ought to have been tuned in? When I said the Lord spoke to me? If you've never had that experience, you've got one coming. It just didn't appear that God was in control. Abraham got to the top, got the altar. He didn't wait to see what was going to happen next. He went straight ahead with his duty. Now listen to this. Abraham saw the answer while he was performing his duty, not while he was waiting. As he lifted up the knife, he lifted up his eyes. And while doing his duty, he saw the answer. Notice this little nugget. I'd never noticed this till these scriptures were illuminated to me in this way. Whenever God called Abraham to take Isaac, he called him one time. Abraham, take thy son, thine only son. But when he stopped him from killing Isaac, he called his name twice. Abraham, Abraham. Now, if that had been me, he'd have had to yelled at me the first time to get me to do it and only whispered to have stopped me. But Abraham was so intent. Abraham, he still had the knife up. I want to make sure, Lord. Now, I don't want to fail you. Abraham, yes, Lord. I've provided the sacrifice. Everything's going to be all right. No wonder he was the friend of God and the father of the faithful. God was there. There. You know, Abraham had a sevenfold promise from the Lord. And no wonder God was not ashamed, the book of Hebrews said, to be called his God. It wasn't how Abraham started or just how he ended, but it was the journey in between that made God 
unashamed to be called His God. You see, if all we ever had was sunshine in life, we'd live in a desert. God is still in control. Just think about the other side of the mountain. Not what you see. You know, Mary said, the 11th of John to Jesus, my brother's dead. And she said, don't worry, Mary. He said, your brother's going to live again. She said, oh, Lord, I know that in that last day, my brother will rise again. Why do we always want to put everything off to the last day? That's human nature at work. But Jesus said, Mary, I... What? Am. I don't know what your need is tonight. Somehow I feel in the Holy Ghost a kaleidoscope of needs and I want to minister to you. And something is whispered, well maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, maybe next year. But the great I Am is present. You may need healing for your body. Did you know that he sent his word and healed that while I'm preaching right now there can come an explosion of faith in your soul and right where you're seated you can be instantly healed by the touch of the master's hand. He sent his word. There's power in the word. You may need the Holy Ghost. While Peter yet spake the word, the Holy Ghost fell on all of them in Cornelius' household. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. The great I am is willing to say, I will. And he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or think. He is totally in control. Hallelujah. But Brother Tenney, the earth is reeling and rocking like a drunkard and, and governments are tottering and falling and, and there's wars, wars in Central America and wars in Africa and wars and rumors of wars. Hey, did you know Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus Christ is the heir of all things and one translation said He is the predestined Lord of the universe. When it's all said and done, I can tell you who's going to be seated on the throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He is in control. Who said the church is going down? He said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not, shall not, shall not, shall not, shall not, shall not, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is still in control. David went out to take his brother's little bread and cheese. You know what I think about David? I think he'd have been glad 
if one of his brothers would have fought the giant. There was just a job needed to be done. But he went out and he heard this roaring in the valley. Give me a man. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? He looked down there. His brother said, shut up, David. He's too big to fight. David looked and said, no, he's too big to miss. Attitude. 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 Brother Timmy, this city's too hard to reach. No, it's too hard to miss. How could you miss it? Now I will admit that sometimes our ego, I said ego, can write a check that our consecration can't cash. But if you've heard the voice of God, as Abraham knew he had and as David knew he had, he was prepared for the giant because he had fought with the scorpion and the serpent, the bear and the lion. God had prepared him. And what kind of God is going to call you to do something and then not empower you to do it? You know what I feel? I've got a conviction. It is impossible, impossible for a dedicated, committed man to miss the will of God. Oh no, Brother Tenny. Oh yes. What kind of God is going to let dedication and commitment miss his will? I don't know that kind of God. If we are honest and dedicated and commitment committed, a good man's steps are ordered of, not from Sears Roebuck, but ordered of the Lord. And a good man stops can be ordered of the Lord. I hasten... You ever hear Joseph? So we've got a colloquial saying down south in Peepicking country, Brother Alexander and Brother Wheat. You know, well, they're just like two peas in a pod. They're like three peas in a pod. Did you ever hear that? You know. So and so, they're like three or four peas in a pod, you know. Okay. There were. Five peas in Joseph's pot. And he had to shell every one of them. At times it didn't look like Joseph's life was very well managed. But his life was like peas in a pot. One night Joseph had a dream. Remember the story? He saw the sun and the moon and the stars bowing. He saw... His sheaf standing and all the other sheaves bowing down to him. And oh, he said, that means I'm going to be elevated. And my father and my brothers are going to be bowing to me. He said, I'm so glad to know it. I can't wait to breakfast so I can tell them. That was his first mistake. You know what, the, in my opinion. Most difficult scripture in the world to live by is rejoice with them that rejoice. Not weep with them that weep. 
But the man working with you on the job, been there just as long as you have, he gets the promotion you think you ought to got. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Are you still there? That was the first pea in his pot. The promise. His brothers didn't like it. Later on they said, let's kill him. No, let's don't kill him. Throw him in the pit. Uh Uh-oh. That was the second pea. The pit. Now the vision said, the promise said, you're going up. And the next thing that happened to him is he went down. Somebody hit the wrong button on this elevator, Lord. I had a vision and I, I, I heard your voice. And you said that I'm going up and all of a sudden I'm going backward from my dream. Lord, I'm being elevated, but it's in reverse. Let me tell you something that's happened to me several times in my life. I have literally backed in to the will of God. Yeah, you know, oh Lord, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Where? And all of a sudden, hey, Canaan's land. What difference does it make whether you go forward or back into it? the story they took the coat to his father and your brain can give you misinformation his father looked at the bloody coat and said oh my son is dead and he had great grief now the brothers didn't tell him Joseph was dead all they did was showed him the coat he said my son Joseph notice this without doubt has been rent to pieces he had more faith To believe the bad. Without doubt. Something bad can happen and we'll say without doubt. And really his son wasn't dead. But his brain told him he was dead. Evidence told him he was dead. He was gone. Circumstances sometimes can make things look so dismal when God is still in control. And you can't go by what you hear. The apparent evidence. You know, they keep bringing us evidence that the earth evolved and man evolved, but every spade of the archaeologist refutes it and brings us closer to the Genesis account of creation. You know, now they've got to where they think maybe it's the Big Bang Theory. Everything just, bow, all of a sudden there was light. That's right. They, they tried to tell us that we came from a muddy drop of water called protoplasm. But suddenly, the pit. And then the next thing, promise, the pit. The next pea he had to shell was he was sold to Potiphar's house. And he started being slightly elevated, became the first steward. He said, I'm on my way up again. 
But there was a woman in that house, Mrs. Potiphar by name. And she tempted him. I kind of feel sorry for Joseph. Every time he got a decent coat, somebody took it off of him. He did. He lost more coats. And both times his coats were used to tell a lie on him. Did you ever hear of losing your shirt doing the right thing? But I'm going to tell you the end of the story. Yeah, he lost a coat when his brothers dipped his in goat's blood. And he lost a coat when Mrs. Potiphar grabbed him and took the coat to lie. But there came a day when he stood before Pharaoh, the king, and he had interpreted the dream. And Pharaoh took off his own royal robe and said, Come here, son. And he put the royal robe of the king of Egypt upon him. And that far exceeded any robe he had ever lost in this life. And you may apparently lose a few things down here, but someday we're going to get a robe of righteousness from the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Keep a walking. Keep a climbing. God is still in control. Every man, every woman has an Egypt in their life. Did you hear me? How are you doing in the Egypt of your life? If you have to wait till a crisis to make up your mind on principle, you're already too late. Can you hear the devil talking to Joseph? Joseph! Boy, nobody will ever know. You're a long way from home. Father thinks you're dead. Your own flesh and blood sold you. This is an influential gal. Her husband is one of the high captains. This could mean your advancement. Boy, you've got to play the game, you know, Joseph. When in Egypt, do as the Egyptians do. Hey, let me tell you something. Fasten your seatbelt. There wasn't one scripture that said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. I'm sorry. That wasn't written yet. But there was a law in his heart before the law. You know, some of our people today, they want you to show it to me in the book. You know, everything. Here is a man, didn't even have a book, wasn't even in the law, but something in his heart told him, I can't do this. And he called it sin. Joseph, give me chapter and verse where it says that sin. I can't give you chapter and verse, but something on the inside of me tells me that this is wrong. When are we ever going to mature enough? To live for God without somebody standing over our shoulders 24 hours a day just because we love Him and we want to please Him. Let me tell you.
you something. The true measure. I said the true measure of a man's character is determined by what he'd do if he knew he'd never be found out. And Joseph, nobody will ever know. Let me tell you something, Brother Wheat. They never would have known because he'd have never been in the book of Genesis. God would have had to brought forth somebody else to have provided Exodus for his people into Egypt. We may have never heard about him. But there was a law in his heart before the law. And he said, I can't do it. And she pressed him. Pressed him. Well, it just looks like it was arranged this way. It looks like God brought us together. It looks like that God is in this. If it's against the word, it's against the will. You don't even need to pray about it. Hey, let me tell you something. You're talking about a spirit. You know where what Potiphar did? Now his wife accused Joseph of assaulting her. And under Egyptian, ancient Egyptian laws. And this is in the Papias Ebras in the University of Cairo. A slave could be killed on the spot by his master for assault. No court involved. No questions asked. Why didn't Potiphar kill him? Second thing is, you know where he put him? It's in the Bible. He put him in the royal prison. That was the Hilton of prisons. The best one. He could have put him in the lowest dungeon. You want me to tell you why I believe Potiphar did that? Potiphar had watched that boy's life so long. And he also knew little wifey. So he faced a dilemma. Joseph said, I didn't do it. She said, he didn't do it. You better do something about it. You're no husband of mine. He said, well, I've got to live with the witch, but I'm sure not going to kill the boy because something down here tells me that that doesn't match with the life I've seen all through the years. He'll make your enemies to be at peace with you. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm telling you, right living pays off. Show you another beautiful thing. He became prime minister of Egypt. I guess the first thing he did was say, bring Mrs. Potiphar before my court. You lying, Jezebel. Off with your head. He could have done it. We don't find one note of retribution Against her. Because when he looked back at the whole thing. He said fellas. You meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. And God was in control. God was in control.
Thomas. Pent. Potiphar. And prison. Mm. Down into prison. That's the fourth P. And then he's forgotten. But he begins to work his way up and becomes a trustee. And he says, well, I'm on my way up again. But then he's forgotten. But then you know the last P. The king had a dream, couldn't interpret it. Suddenly the fellow that had been in the hooskow with Joseph said, I remember a fellow down there that can interpret dreams is sent for him. And he interpreted Pharaoh's dream. And the fifth P was the palace. Now you know our problem? We want to go from the promise to the palace. But we don't want the pit, Potiphar, or the prison that's in between. But the first P and the last P are the bread and the meat is the three P's in between. You will never go from the promise to the palace unless you have your days in the pit in Egypt and in prison. Forgotten. That's all a part of God's economy. But as we look back now, God was in control. And I don't know what your need is tonight. But God is in control. Daniel in a den of lions, do thyself no come, O king. And the angels of God visited me. I know it didn't look like it, but God's been in control. Three Hebrew children, and they came out of the fiery furnace, and without the smell of smoke on them, shouting the victory, God is still in control. We need all of us to get our hands and lives into the hand and life of that one who has everything in control. Look at the world today. Nation rising against nation. Somewhere between 50 and 60 wars being fought. Newsweek magazine said 10,000 people a day dying of starvation, famines, pestilence, sin running rampant, evil men waxing worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. How is it that God is in control? My friend, He has declared the end from the beginning. And I wouldn't be anywhere else tonight except in the palm of His hand. Oh, let's lift our hands and praise Him.
Hallelujah. 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 I don't know where you are tonight, but God is in control. You can trust Him. Don't put your faith in flesh or political systems. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. God is in control. If you're in the Egypt of your life, be faithful. Flee temptation. God is in control. If you're in a dilemma without an explanation, be faithful. God is in control. If you're going up the side of the the steepest mountain you've ever climbed without an explanation, you can't see what's going on on the other side. But God's got an answer coming. God is in control. If you just heard some bad news, turn it over to the maker of the good news. God is in control. This is no time to push the panic button. But this is a time for us to be in contact with the infinite source of the universe as never before. God is in control. Let's turn every circumstance into a worshiper. Let's take our knives of sacrifice as instruments of praise. Say, let's lift our hands now and worship Him. Hallelujah. Do you believe it? God is in control. God is in control. It may not look like it, but believe this preacher and believe this book. God is still in control. Oh, let's worship him a little bit tonight. Thank him for his control. Thank him that you're in his hands. Thank him that you belong to him. Same. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, we shall run and not be weary. We shall walk and not faint. So teach me, Lord. Teach me, Lord, to wait. Oh, let's sing it, everybody. They that wait upon the Lord, they shall, shall, not maybe they shall, claim it in the name of Jesus. That's a promise from the King to you. As he goes, they shall run. Teach me, Lord. Teach me. God is still in control. Oh, hallelujah. They that wait upon. He's passing your way. And he's come with a banquet for your soul. You don't have to nibble around on a little snack. The healer is here. The prayer answerer is here. The burden bearer is present. Holy Ghost. They shall walk and not faint. Teach me. Teach me, Lord. God. Oh, teach me, Lord. To wait. 
Let's stand together and sing it, everybody, everybody. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Oh, they shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. Oh, they shall walk. And then I'll not pain. Pain. So teach, teach me, Lord, Lord. Teach me, Lord. To wait. Hey, have you heard what the Spirit is saying to the church tonight? Some area of your life that you're tenaciously holding on to. Let God have it. Anytime you take anything out of the hand of God, He'll let you have it. He won't fight with you. But I promise you, if you're facing a dilemma, if some of you have unsaved loved ones, sons, daughters, and, and there's a disturbance in your soul. God, hey, feed your faith. Don't feed your fears. Nourish your faith. Don't feed your fears. Get up every morning claiming them in the name of the Lord. God, you're in control. I laid them on an altar, Lord. I gave them to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Some of you are in financial dilemma. God is in control. Some of you don't know which way to turn. God is in control. While we sing it again, if you've got a need for prayer, if you've got a need in your body, if there's just something you want to talk over with the great God that's in control of the universe, He's here to meet your need. While we sing, why don't you come? They that wait. Upon the Lord, the altar's open. Come claiming it. Come in faith. Every step of the way, claim it. I'm coming in Jesus' name. Lord, you see my needs. They shall. You're in control. Come praising God and claiming what you need. So teach me, Lord, oh, teach, teach me, Lord, Lord to, to wait. It's a promise, it's a promise. They, they that wait, wait upon the Lord. It's a promise to shout their strength. Oh, they shall mount up. If you need the Holy Ghost, this is your night. The mighty baptizer is here. And they'll not faint. So teach me, Lord. Oh, teach me, Lord, to wait. Oh, they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Oh, they shall mount up with wings. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and they'll not faint. So teach me, Lord, oh, teach me, Lord, to wait. Oh, they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew.